Wilson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. The Brewers dropped uh, two or three games this weekend. Three of the wildest, wackiest, strangest baseball games I've ever watched. And I don't think this weekend taught me a whole lot about the Milwaukee Brewers. This weekend taught me a lot about baseball and what an outlandish, weird, unpredictable sport baseball is. I mean, truly, really. And Cubs fans, I think, would probably agree with that. They haven't had uh, the best of weeks as well. They got walked off a couple of times last week by the Phillies and... Got walked off by the Pirates on Friday night. Like, the Cubs have been having a weird go, a rough go at it the last couple of days, just like the Brewers had. Now, if you didn't pay attention to the Brewers at all this weekend, you didn't watch any games, and I'm just now about to tell you what happened, I think this sums it up best. On Friday night, they lost 2-1. to one. On Saturday, they lost 15-14 to 14 in a bunch of extra innings. And then on Sunday afternoon, they lost 16-8. to eight. There you go. Baseball is weird. I think this weekend proved that. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY, the show presented by Played Against Sports. My name is Grant Bills. I am your host. Hope you had an awesome weekend, regardless of how the Brewers did. Or the Cubs, if you are a Cubs fan. Hope you're having an awesome Monday, right? Your week is off to a good start. You're kind of getting back into the flow of things. I'm happy that uh, happy that you're here. We're going to talk Brewers today. We're going to talk uh excuse me, we're going to talk Badgers. We're going to talk Packers. We're we're, we're going to cover it uh we're going to cover it all today. Baseball is weird, though. That's what it comes back to. I, I, I've been driving myself crazy, and I'm sure you have been doing the same thing all summer long, trying to figure out whether the Brewers are good or not. I think right now the Brewers are, are good, but they're not very good. They're just a little good, right? They're four games over 500, and I've been watching them since April. You've been watching them since April. I, I feel like four games over 500 is about the right number for the Brewers, right? Like, that seems about right. They're good, but they're, they're, only, a, they're only a little Good. So they played the Nationals this weekend in three of the... I mean, you couldn't get three more different games, right? You you got a, a, a low-scoring pitcher's duel on Friday. You got an extra innings marathon on Saturday, which inflated the score, right? 15-14 to 14 is an outlandish, wild final score, but the extra innings certainly played a part in that. And then you saw a shootout blowout yesterday on Sunday. The Nationals just just railing the Brewers. Now, it looked a little bit respectable towards the end. I mean, 16-8 to is still a blowout. But three very different ball games, right? Saw the Brewers win one way, lose another. This was a, a wacky weekend. This will put it into perspective, right? They lost two of three. And let's just compare Friday night to Saturday night. Friday, they lost two to one. Saturday, they won 15-14. to the score is a big is probably the biggest comparison. But I remember on Friday, uh, I was out with some friends. My family was in town. We went down to uh, to River Roast, which the the headlining band, uh, Leftover Salmon, was awesome. What an awesome time! And I saw a couple of friends, a couple of coworkers down there. It was it was a great time. That game on Friday night was done before we went down to see the headlining band at River Roast. That game went like that. It was super quick, and that'll happen in a two to one ball game. That that game cruised by. Saturday night, the game took five hours and forty minutes. Five hours and 40 minutes. That's when you feel for the beat writers, right? You feel for the engineer sitting back here at the studio running the game. That's just, Nobody needs that. Nobody needs five hours and 40 minutes of ball game. Compare that to Friday. Eh, we finished the game uh, in a bar, had one drink, and we were on our way. We were on with the night, right? 
On Friday night, the starting pitcher for the Brewers, Adrian Hauser, went seven innings. Gave up one earned run. That was it. This is one of the best starts I've seen by a Brewer this year. And he lost. Now, he wasn't the losing pitcher, but the Brewers lost the game. The next day, Jordan Lyles goes four innings, gives up five earned runs, and the Brewers win. Baseball's weird. Baseball is unpredictable, right? Friday, the Brewers had nine hits, and they lost. Nine hits, they scored one run. On Saturday, they had 20 hits, and they scored 15, and they won. After losing the night before. How you only score one run on nine innings, that's just part of the mystery of baseball. It's part of why you love it, part of why it drives us crazy, right? Just comparing one player from Friday to Saturday. Christian Yelich. On Friday night, he was 0 of 5 with three strikeouts. Saturday, he had five hits. Two of them were home runs, a couple RBIs. He was unreal. And I guess I guess Craig Council kind of predicted that in a post-game press, press conference late last week after Yelich took the collar 0 for 4 or 5 or whatever it was. Craig Council say, you know, you almost feel good going into the next day after Yelich has a really bad night because you know it's not going to happen again. Well, it didn't. He had a rough night on Friday, and then he came back with a vengeance on Saturday, including a couple of late-game home runs. Right? You might have gone to bed on Saturday and missed all of the home runs that Christian Yelich hit. That's how long that game was. Five hours and 40 minutes. Friday and Saturday, just comparing the two of those games, you couldn't see a different product. You couldn't see a different game. It was, also, it was almost like they were playing two different sports. Then you get to Sunday, and I, I didn't know what was in store. I, obviously, they were up until the, the crack of dawn into Sunday morning and then playing an afternoon game the next day. But I thought, well, the Brewers should have momentum. They should be feeling great. Watch them go out and get a win, take the series, right? Absolutely not. <laughs> they got killed. They lost 16-8. to eight. And I get home from church yesterday. I, look, sometimes I'll miss a Brewer game on Friday night or Saturday night. This weekend, I didn't. Like I said, I, we watched uh, Friday night's game at a bar. And on Saturday night, I just had nothing else to do. I was on my couch. Sunday Brewer games, I always watch, right? It, it kind of feels like we're starting the next week. All right, I got to get a handle uh, for, for what the Brewers are doing so I can go back to work tomorrow night here on the Wisco Sports Show and, and talk about it. I always watch Sunday afternoon games. They're my favorite. And I sit down yesterday, and I don't know, when did the game start? One. I sat down on my couch at like 1.15, got back from church, made a sandwich, and I go to sit down, and the game's been on for 20 minutes, and I click the remote on, and nothing, right? Cable's saying, you don't get this channel. This channel is unavailable. And I'm like, well, check ESPN, check all these different channels. Our cable's out. Our internet's out. Nothing is working. And I say, damn it, because it's the one time a week that I kind of routinely sit down and watch a Brewer game. I'm always there. You know, some nights I'll, I'll watch on and off. I'll be on my phone. I'll be on my laptop. And Sundays, I'm on the TV. I'm on the couch and I'm watching on Sunday afternoons. I said, well, damn it, I'm not going to be able to watch. So let me pull it up on my phone. And I pull up the score and it was like, <laughs> it was like 10 to 0. I'm like, okay. Okay, Charter, you picked a good game. You picked a good game to pull my cable. That was a game I didn't want to watch. <laughs> my cable company kind of kind of bailed me out yesterday. The one game I didn't watch was the ugliest bloodbath. And I guess it's understandable, right? The Brewers used every position player and every pitcher on the roster the night before. They ship in a couple of pitchers from AAA to go on Sunday, and it went about how you would expect, right? Chase Anderson giving up four runs in the first, two runs in the second, seven runs were surrendered in the third. So that was 13 runs through three innings, right? That's that's when my cable, that's when I realized my cable is out. I start to pull it up on my phone. They're down 13 to nothing. Oh my God. Oh, 16 to eight in the worst bloodbath of the year. And that and this weekend was a roller coaster. They had a pitcher's duel. They had a five hour, 40 minute shootout. And then they just, they just got killed yesterday. I'm still no closer to figuring out this Brewers team and nobody can figure out baseball. This sport is weird. This sport is weird. 
I think the Brewers are a good team, but they're only a little good. 64 and 60 sounds about right. That's a thumbs up. That sounds accurate, right? The Brewers continue uh, uh, the regular season, start a new series tonight against the St. Louis Cardinals. And it if it feels like it's been a while, it's because it has. They haven't played them since late April, right? They had all of those series against the Cardinals to start the year and haven't played them since. So the Brewers are going to play the Cardinals tonight. Uh, I'll get you the lineup here uh, before we say goodbye, and, and we'll get ready for that game. But the Brewers, I mean, they're not out of it. I- I'm just getting less and less enthusiastic by the game that that they can make a run, that they can get hot and go grab this division. Right now, they're third in the Central. The Cubs and, and the Cardinals both won yesterday, so that makes it quite difficult. All those those wins and losses, they really matter uh, when you're down the stretch. In in May, it doesn't hurt. The Cubs win and the Brewers lost. Okay, that, that doesn't hurt too bad. Late August, th- those wins... Win and loss combos, those start to sting a little bit. We'll return to Brewers. We'll talk about the lineup because it's an interesting lineup. We'll talk about that uh, coming up later on in the show. Some huge news today uh, regarding the Wisconsin Badgers, especially the football team. Quintez Cephas is back in school, and it's a story we've been following, we've been talking about. We have an announcement uh, by by the chancellor, Becky Blank, and now we have an announcement from the athletic department as well. This is a really touchy, interesting situation. I'll share what we know. I'll give my two cents, and I'd love to hear from you as well. This is kind of a touchy topic. So if you have an opinion you'd like to share, please do so. Do it respectfully. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talking text line, and it's open all show long. Give me a call. Give me a text. Anything you want to talk about, I'm right here. Uh, This is the Wisco Sports Show. We'll be back in just a couple of moments talking Badgers football, talking Quintez Cephas uh, here presented by Played Against Sports. You're listening to WKTY. Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for being here. Thanks for hanging out. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can. You're always welcome. 608-796-2558 on the five-star telecom talk and text line. Talk to Little Brewers. We're going to get to Packers coming up later on in the show. Right now, I want to focus on the Badgers, especially on the football team. It's a story we've been following here, well, really for two years, but but closely for the last couple of weeks as it's kind of came to a head, uh, came to a tipping point. The, the trial of Quintez Cephas over second and third degree sexual assault, two victims uh, or, or two accusers, although that word has a really negative connotation, so I'm not a huge fan of that word, but but two women involved, uh, both testified at the trial, and, and we've been hearing tidbits, right, as the trial goes. It, it's, we haven't heard transcripts, we haven't seen video we haven't really seen press conferences or interviews, but what we have seen and heard mostly through social media and however you consume news is little tidbits, right? Little details of the trial on why the trial might be trending this way, a piece of evidence that was brought in, a quote that really stuck out. So we kind of hear things in bits and pieces and we've been trying to put it together. That's what we've been doing for the last couple of weeks. And and last week uh, we were actually joined by Zach Heilprin, and I'm so glad we finally got him on. He uh, is the sports director and, and covers just about everyone for our sister station, The Zone, in Madison, which obviously is tied right in to both the football and the basketball team, which is why I really wanted to talk to him. And we talked the political side, right? What's it going to look like for Quintez Cephas to be reinstated or welcomed back into UW-Madison? And if he is, does that mean he can rejoin the football team? And if he does, will there be a suspension? Will be the... A lot of politics, right? And we talked about that, and that podcast is available at WKTYsports.com if you want to go check it out, if you missed it. Uh, One thing that I wanted to revisit today, just for a little bit of context, for a little bit of foundation, is the football side. 
right? Because it's looking like Quintez Cephas is going to be able to rejoin the team and play this year. He's been readmitted to UW-Madison, right? And 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 Becky Blank in the university made that announcement today, and, and we'll get to that statement here in a sec. I, I want to remind everyone of the receiver that Quintez Cephas was. Because in conversations that I've had with my friends, some of them who are sports fans, Badger fans, the sentiment has often been, well, he... He wasn't that good. It's not like he was an NFL prospect. You know, he was just another average college wide receiver. Look, NFL prospects, I I don't know. I don't know what he projects to be as a pro. We haven't seen him play in a while. People forget he had 500 plus yards. He, he, He led the team in touchdowns and targets, and he missed six games, five or six games at the end of that season. He was a baller, and he was glue for all the young receivers because when he fell out we thought okay well they have all these young receivers they'll step out well that really wasn't the case so I asked Zach last week Quintus Cephas steps onto the field today and rejoins the team how important is he where does he land in the in the in the depth chart what is Quintus Cephas coming back to this team look like football wise we'll get to politics here in a moment he is their best he was their best wide receiver he was Alex Hornibrick's top target I think we kind of got a little bit lost to the fact of how important he was because we saw down the stretch in 2017 them play so well without him and in the bowl game in the Orange Bowl uh, play so well without him. But we saw in the spring after he was healthy make some plays that none of these other guys can. We saw him run with the first team last fall camp. He was going to be the guy. And when they lost him, they lost uh, a significant chunk of their offense. And um, it certainly hurt Alex Hornibrook. Uh, it hurt the passing game in general. And the other guys, while they played okay, uh, they're not. They were not at Quintez's level, and so if he were able to come back in, and now I think I, what people I think are missing just a little bit in terms of you know where he's been since last August, he wasn't actually uh, expelled from the university until uh, March or you know right around March, uh, meaning he was still around the team because he was able to use the facility. He was only suspended, so he was able to use facilities. Was still there working out. Then he uh, once he got expelled, he spent three working out in Arizona. So he's in uh, tip-top condition, and I think he'd be. I don't know if he'd be good to go week one, but I think you'd probably have him if, if it were to happen here in these next couple of weeks. You'd think he'd be ready by Big Ten season uh, to be able to make an impact for them. He, he's their best receiver. I haven't seen him uh, on, a, on a football field since November of 2017, but I still think he's their best receiver uh, if you were to just walk into that locker room right now. And it's not just his on-the-field play. I think Paul Christ and Garrett Grosher have talked about it. He's a connector in that locker room. He can – I, I kind of – referred to as a bit of a chameleon he can he's comfortable in any setting he can draw people together from you know southwest wisconsin or south you know southern florida south florida i mean he's he's got that ability within a locker room to bring guys together and they missed that last year uh with him so it's both on the field and off the field with him i think zach heilprin did a really good job once again our guest uh, from the zone last week i think he did a really good job not only talking about his you know, his physical traits and what he can do as a receiver but his importance in that locker room and as, as a part of a, a group of young men who come from all over the country, right? The, the Badgers recruit players from all 50 states, from the South, from the North, the East, the West, from the Midwest. Everybody has a different set of values, a different upbringing, different priorities. And it takes players, leaders, who are able to to group all of those young men together to believe in a common goal and, and work together to win football games, right? And, and I think Zach did a really good job of, of touching on that importance, something I didn't know. Details that I didn't know. I'm not around the team. I'm not in that locker room. I'm not in Madison. I'm here in lacrosse. And that's why I like talking to uh, broadcasters, journalists, reporters from the actual area. Because college athletics can be a very political. Uh, there, there's a lot of bureaucracy. There's a lot of white tape. 
and I don't necessarily, I'm not able to really dig my hands into it. That's why I wanted to talk to Zach. Once again, that whole interview uh, up at WKTYsports.com, just click on the podcast section. So Quintus Cephas, since last week, has been reinstated into the university. So his expulsion is no more, He, he and it looks like he's going to rejoin the team. So earlier today... UW-Madison released a statement on Twitter, on Facebook, I'm sure, at all of their outlets. I retweeted it. It's on the WKTY Twitter account. If you'd like to check it out, at WKTY, my account is at Grant, and it's very brief. It basically says, UW-Madison statement on Quintez Cephas reinstatement. There's a little bit of fluff. It's a very short statement. Uh, one of the statements that jumps out to me is, it says, in the case of Quintez Cephas, this process functioned appropriately and in accordance with the state and federal guidelines and proceeded based on information available to UW-Madison at the time of the university's investigation and hearing process. It continues, UW-Madison obtained information following the criminal proceeding that was not provided to the university during the student conduct process. Chancellor Rebecca Blank conducted an interview of this information and the petition for Quintez Cephas reinstatement as quickly as possible and in a complete and impartial manner. As a result of this review, sanctions for Cephas have been reduced and his expulsions lifted. There you go. In other words, lawyers dug their teeth dug their teeth and, and hands in. Prosecutors dug their teeth and hands in. This was handled and there was information, there was evidence that was dug up and brought up and it was decided. And now that all of that information is public to us, we have all the facts and the decision was made by others, we can now make a decision of our own. We're going to welcome him back in. Okay. There's two direct quotes from Rebecca Blank at the bottom of this article, and they're very interesting. I want to get to them. I think this is this, this is interesting for UW-Madison because they kind of had a decision made for them, right? They're like, well, we're just going to let this go to trial. We're going to let this go to trial. What the lawyers, the prosecutors, the judge, the jury, what ha- every part of the legal system will do its job. They will present us the information, and then we're going to make a decision based on it, right? And that's what they did. They didn't have to do all the investigative work. They just kind of had to sit and wait, which I think it's probably how it should work. I don't know if the, if the UW system and the education system needs to exactly uh, find themselves in as a part of the legal system. I don't know if that's necessarily for the best. They had their decision kind of made for them. The evidence brought to them, and, and football quickly followed suit. Right Once Quintez Cephas was announced, he was acquitted. Then the university said, well, here's the new evidence. Let's readmit him. Okay. And then the football team said, well, he's been cleared in the legal system. He's been readmitted by UW-Madison. So now I think it's also safe for us to welcome him back to the team. And they released a statement doing that earlier today. Right? It's going down the line. It's going through the natural progression. So it looks like he's going to rejoin the team. And we'll talk about how that looks football-wise when we get closer to actual football, which is right around the corner. There's two direct quotes from Rebecca Blank, who's the chancellor at UW-Madison, at the end of this statement. And I think you should go read it if you're interested. Once again, you can just go to UW-Madison's website. There's statements right there. Or at WKTY on Twitter, at Grant on Twitter. It's in both places. The first paragraph is, all three primary participants in this case are students, and I know the past year has been painful for everyone involved. My decision is based on the availability of substantial new information that wasn't made available to us during the earlier process. I recognize that some will disagree with this decision. Once again, kind of in she's personalizing what the rest of the statement said, right? But this is this is the kicker right here. And I think it's I think it's wise, but I think it shows the importance of this whole scenario, this final quote. To those in our community who have experienced sexual assault, I sincerely hope that there is nothing in this case that will deter you from coming forward for support. Our university continues to be prepared to listen and respond. 
Now, those are just words on a screen, words on a piece of paper. But that sentiment, that idea is exactly why I think Quintez Cephas's camp should have treaded lightly, why UW-Madison should tread lightly, and we don't need to make a big stink of this. This final little statement is why I'm hesitant to pom-pom wave for Quintez Cephas or for any other athlete, guilty or innocent, who's trying to make a case to, to rejoin an NFL ball club, right? Uh, Addison Russell in Major League Baseball or especially the college level where we see it happen a lot. What do young women, and, and I don't mean to go all social justice warrior here, but what do young women think when they see a situation like this where where uh, a sexual assault is brought to the forefront, where the evidence is examined, where you, where you go through all the steps, and the athlete gets all the support, right? The team gets all the support. This huge brotherhood of young men who play football pledge their support. An entire state pledges their support. This happens a lot, right? And I'm not saying Quintez Cephas is guilty. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying to young men or women who have been sexually assaulted or, or will find themselves in that situation, you, you got to be saying, well, what do I do? Right? It, it never works out for the victim, right? Remember the, the Brett Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court, whether Brett Kavanaugh was guilty or not, you have all these women coming forward and they're listened to and then they're argued against and then eventually the other side prevails as Quintez Cephas did here. I'm not saying anyone's guilty. I'm just saying in the typical progression of sexual assault trials, this is often the result we see. This is often the process we see and it's got to be demoralizing for victims of sexual assault. And Rebecca Blank tries to tries to bring this to light in the end of the statement and I think does a good job. It's only a statement. It's only words on a piece of paper. But remember what that woman said in her testimony? If you were listening last week, I shared this with you. The second woman who testified and brought evidence against Quintez Cephas in, in, in this trial of thir- second and third degree sexual assault, she said, I, I didn't want to do anything about this at first. I, it felt, it, I felt so gross. I felt so awful. I just wanted it to go away, and I didn't want to make it into anything. My friend was the one who ultimately convinced me. We we cannot continue to foster an environment where there is, a, a, I don't want to say a winner and a loser, but last week I got I got a text from a listener who said she should go to jail. She should be punished. She should be expelled for false accusations. It, it can't be that black and white. It can't be a winner and a loser. This isn't a football game. These are people's lives. These are legal decisions which have criminal consequences. And they're dealing with the most private of human interaction, Right the most intimate of human interaction. And I don't know if this is the way that we can continue to deal with sexual assault because there's a clear winner and then the other person turns into a clear loser. Now, I'm not saying Quintez Cephas is guilty or innocent or, 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 or the uh, the defendant or the accuser had, had bad intent towards Cephas, but I, I do appreciate that Rebecca Blank went out of her way at the end to say, look, I, I know that Cephas won this case and was proven innocent, but I don't want this to be a deterrent. I don't want this to to deter young women or men who have been sexually assaulted to come forward because more and more it seems like the the person who is accusing of sexual assault never comes out on top. Their story is buried, right? So I'm glad that that was brought up. And it's it's a conversation, frankly, that I hope we don't have to have again anytime soon regarding sports, regarding politics, because I think it's a broken system with a clear winner and a clear loser. And, and this isn't a game. This isn't a sport. These are people's lives. And these sexual assault accusations and following trials and incidents, 
that's people's lives. That's people's freedom. And, and like I said, it deals with the most intimate and most private of human interaction. And I don't know if it's a system that, that's going to continue to succeed moving forward. I guess that's my my two cents on it. Thank you for uh, thank you for humoring me and listening. When we come back, I'd love to talk Packers with you on a much lighter uh, on a much lighter note. Preseason is is halfway through. We're through a lot of practices, a, a lot of walkthroughs, a lot of scrimmages. How good are the Packers? Do we even know? Do we have an opinion? I think you can kind of have the opinion that you want. Let me explain. Coming up next, the Wisco Sports Show will roll on. Presented by Played Against Sports, right here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host. Thanks for hanging out. You can always stream us live on our mobile app if you haven't downloaded it. What you doing? And at WKTYsports.com, you can stream us there as well. We're giving away a bunch of goodies right now at WKTYsports.com. Go check it out. Download our mobile app if you haven't. Lots of good ways to listen and, and, and to uh, to be connected with us. Here at WKTY, we've talked Badgers, we've talked Brewers. The preseason wrapping up. Have, have you thought about that? Well, well, first of all, everything's sneaking up on us right now. We've reached that point in in the late summer, early fall, where you, you wake up and you look at your calendar, you go, "Holy cow! There's there's a high school football game this Thursday, right? Class starts in a week and a half." Right, the NFL regular season, college football is about to start. And by the way, we will have lots of local action on WKTY uh, Memorial. And uh, and North will be matching up with Central and Logan will have a game each night, Thursday and Friday. And we'll talk about that and, and preview some of those games and preview some of these teams as we get closer. It's that part of the summer, right? Where you go, holy cow, it's August. Holy cow, we're halfway through August. Holy cow, everything starts this week. And that's very true with the Packers as well. Because of the new head coach and, and new personnel and a new offensive coordinator, new special teams coach, it, it, it all feels very abstract, Right. I don't think it's really hit us yet that at some point Matt LaFleur is going to be on the sideline of an actual regular season game, not McCarthy, right? Like, that has yet to really hit me. It's it's starting to, but I haven't had that big moment yet, right? And the regular season is right around the corner. We're two preseason games in. The Packers won one and lost one. I don't remember the score. The score doesn't matter. The games matter. The score does not. Right? The Packers could lose 14-26, to 26, and I would maybe love what I saw, saw some really good things for some players that I was looking at, and then they could lose 21 to 17, and I could draw most of those same conclusions. The score doesn't matter. The preseason matters. Training camp matters. Right? Practices matter. And right now, the Packers have been kind of an up and down quote machine from both Rodgers and Lafleur. Right? And now Aaron Rodgers is out. He was script he was scripted. He was scheduled to play last Thursday against the Ravens. And that didn't happen because of back tightness. And we were told it was precautionary, and I'm sure it is. But he hasn't rejoined practice yet. He's still out. Deshaun Kaiser is running with the ones. Tim Boyle is running with the ones today as well. I don't know if that's noteworthy, but he was. Aaron Rodgers is out, right? And it hasn't looked great. The production, right? The performance has not looked great. In fact, Malafleur, as we're getting to know him, may have just had his most fiery press conference of his very, very young head coaching career. He was asked about practice the other day. This is what he said. It was pretty sloppy, I thought, overall. If you're missing somebody, the standards don't change. Everybody else has to pick up their play around and support whoever is in there, especially at the quarterback position. It takes everyone. It takes all 11. Okay. Beautiful. That's, that's very 
common sense, right? Our starting quarterback is out. That That's not an excuse to, to let your guard down, to take it easy, to play sloppy. We need to pick up our game and support that backup quarterback, which, by the way, is very similar to what Mike McCarthy said not too long ago, right? Remember at one point when Mike McCarthy said, the defense has to be better than the offense. We have to be a better football team. He said that because he knows that when Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, this football team hits the fan. And they collapse. And Mike McCarthy was saying that that can't happen. That can't be the case. Matt LaFleur is basically saying the same thing right here. And Matt LaFleur, for everything that I saw from beat reporters and journalists that were there, had his angriest, most fiery moment at practice when they were doing uh, they were doing um, um, competition drills. Right? It wasn't walkthroughs. It wasn't individuals. They had an offense going against the defense. And it was live. Or as live as training camp gets. Right? And there was a blown assignment by rookie running back Dexter Williams, and LaFleur went off on him, and he dismissed him from the drill, okay? He talked about this, or he hinted at this, in his next quote, he said, it wasn't like it was a play call coming out of left field, it was something scripted, and when we get out there, we don't know what we're doing and have a busted assignment, it irritates me, it doesn't make sense to me, right? Talk about how Dexter Williams completely blew whatever he was supposed to do, during a play and in a setting where he absolutely should have known what to do. Right, Matt LaFleur saying that this wasn't out of nowhere. This wasn't a surprise. This was scripted. This was supposed to go smoothly, and they couldn't even handle that. And he got angry, and he got mad. Now, Dexter Williams is a rookie, so I think you'll have a little bit of that. And look, Matt LaFleur understands that, too. Coaches get mad because things go wrong. That's just football. No team is perfect. Have you ever watched the high school football practice? Yeah, things go wrong, and people yell. That could be football practice in a nutshell. Things go wrong, people yell. Let's quote that. We'll put it on a t-shirt, right? I'm sure Scrady will love it. Scrady loves that part of football, the yelling, right? Are you ready for some football? Yeah, that's what you do. Things go wrong, and people yell. But it kind of seems like a a tiny little microcosm of what the Packers training camp has been. There there have been good moments. There's been a lot up and down. There's been some injuries right now with Aaron Rodgers, and they've they've been sloppy playing. we got to fix this. we got to make this better. And we've been... You know, pushing off. It's training camp. It's the preseason. It's not a big deal. And I'm not here today to say that it's a big deal. But at what point, and I saw Bill Michaels say the exact same thing earlier today. At what point do you say, well, there might actually be a problem. They might actually not be ready to compete this regular season. Maybe they're not the team we thought they were. I've had an up and down camp, an up and down preseason, right? And Aaron Rodgers getting hurt doesn't make anything easier. Especially when you're trying to learn a new playbook, trying to learn a new system. And and, and look, the plays isn't the only thing, right? Matt LaFleur is calling different plays and different schemes, but he's a different human being. He behaves differently than Mike McCarthy. He gets a play call in differently than Mike McCarthy. You need to get used to all that. It's been up and down, and Aaron Rodgers being gone certainly doesn't make that process easier. I will say that with Packers training camp and preseason so far, as we look toward the regular season, there's been enthusiasm, and then there's been frustration. What have we been enthusiastic about, though? Like, as Packer fans, what, what, what have we kind of wrapped our arms around. What have we gotten excited about? It's mostly been the free agents they brought in, Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Adrian Amos. Maybe the, I, I love Darnell Savage and Rashawn Gary. We're excited. We're enthusiastic about those players. And we're excited about guys like Darius Shepard, right, and Jake Kumaro, who are no-name players who are trying to make the roster. So we're talking about the new players, and we're talking about the players we've never heard of before. And we're like, oh, man, give it to me, right? Training camp, preseason, that's what we love. New members to the team, draft picks, and no-name players trying to fight for their spot. You know what we haven't been enthusiastic about? Performance. And I defended the Packers' defense last Friday because, look, giving up six points 
to Baltimore in Baltimore in a preseason game is not a huge deal at all. Well, let's not act like they're racking up sacks and interceptions and they're looking like a lockdown unit. They haven't so far. And we've only seen the starters once. But we're certainly not jumping up and down and waving pom-poms for the Packers currently, the way they've performed. Certainly the running game has been terrible, and we were just talking about Dexter Williams. Nobody has been able to get a running game going. Trey Carson was dismal. Like nine yards on six carries against Baltimore on Thursday. Haven't really found that other running back outside of Williams and Jones. We've been enthusiastic about free agents, about new players, and about players we've never heard of. I guess we've heard of Jake Kumro. But players, they're trying to make the roster, right? The no-name guys. We haven't really wrapped our arms around, well, the defensive scheme has looked really good and they've been really effective and, and they should be a great unit this year. No, it's all projection. And this is part of what's so fun and what's so maddening about training camp and about the NFL preseason is that you can spin it any way you want, right? The Packers could have the worst performance. They could look like the worst high school team in the Mississippi Valley Conference last Thursday in Baltimore. They could have been terrible. And you would have some people say, myself included probably, it's just a preseason game. Who cares? They could have failed to move the ball one yard. And I said, it's preseason, don't worry. Doesn't matter. And there's some truth to that. But you can only use that excuse, right? You can only deflect with that preseason label so much before, well, damn, week one's here and I don't know how I feel about this team yet. Right? I mean, think of think of Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is the best example, right? The first overall pick and he's going to be the starting quarterback uh, for the Arizona Cardinals this year with first-year head coach Cliff Kingsbury, who's never coached in the NFL, made a big leap. A lot of people thought they reached on Cliff Kingsbury. But they're going to bring this new offense, this new air raid offense, where the ball's moving very quickly. Kyler Murray's going to be in the shotgun a lot. He's going to be throwing to the perimeter a lot. Right? It's something different. It's the air raid offense, right? Cliff Kingsbury did it at, uh, not at, well, did it at A&M, but also Texas Tech is what he's known for mostly. Week one, Kyler Murray comes out. He throws like, I don't know what, five or six passes. I don't care. I don't need to look it up. But he was fine. He, it wasn't anything noteworthy. It wasn't anything terrible. It was just fine. And everybody said, man, maybe this will work. You know what? Kyler Murray, he's not very tall. We haven't seen him throw over the middle of the field yet, but he's executing the offense. He's throwing it to the outside. You know what? This might just work. Holy cow. I know they don't have a great offensive line, but maybe they don't need one. This might work. Here we go. And then in preseason game number two, he's terrible. Right? He's not moving the ball. He's not looking comfortable in the pocket. He's not escaping like we saw him in college. And he rolled into the end zone for a safety. And people lost it for the last couple of days. Oh, man. Kyler, Kyler Murray, you know, this is why I, this is why he's short. This is why I didn't like I didn't like them drafting him. He, he's too short. And Cliff Kingsbury doesn't have the experience. And you know what? Kyler Murray in his press conference, man, you got to be more mature, right? You can't just deflect, deflect. You have to take some of that. You know, this locker room is going to fall apart in one week. That's what the narrative became in one week. Six days, seven days after their first preseason, everybody flipped. And it's a dumpster fire in Arizona. Think about that. That's what the NFL preseason can do. You can spin it any way you want. I'm not saying the Packers defense are world beaters, and I'm not saying their offense is going to hit the ground running in week one and be incredible. But there's certainly some, some concern on my part with a very up-and-down training camp. And the next two preseason games are going to be very telling. I'll feel a lot better once Aaron Rodgers is, is healthier to participate and healthy enough to play in a preseason game. Right now, there's some concerns, and I'm not just going to hide behind it's the preseason, it's training camp, because I don't think that's truthful. I don't really believe that, and I don't just want to deflect, because, you know, there's a good chance that maybe this team struggles. Either way, 
I don't think they're going to struggle because we saw a bad thing or two in the preseason, right? We'll have to decide that. We'll have to see that uh, when the regular season is here. Speaking of preseason, I watched way too much uh, preseason football this weekend just because why not? What else is there when the Brewers are down 13 runs? But something I did notice uh, between the Lions and the Texans and the Vikings, I, I, was, I was watching more for big picture stuff because I don't recognize the players, don't recognize the names, right? Something jumped out to me today, and I thought, wait a minute, we got to talk about that this week. So we're going to talk about something that caught my eye in Detroit and Houston when they played, uh, and and how almost freaky it is that we are seeing an exact replica, an exact mirroring in 2019 as we saw in 2018 in the preseason. It's pretty spooky. You know, like the the whole JFK, Abraham Lincoln assassination where everything lines up Right now, this is an assassination, but everything's lining up the same. I'll tell you what I'm talking about coming up next. We'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show, presented by Played Against Sports here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. Hope your week is uh, is off to a good start. Right. Working your way into the week, uh, the weekly routine. Uh, glad you're here. If you want to check out any of the show that you missed, you can do so at WKTYsports.com. Check out the podcast tab. I'll post today's show just a couple of minutes after 6 o'clock. We talk Badgers. We talk Packers. And we're going to continue to talk football. I, I, this is something that jumped out to me this weekend. It frankly jumped out to a lot of people this weekend. So preseason football, just like it is a uh, 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 stage and an opportunity for teams and coaches to try out new plays, new ideas, to become connected with each other and, and polish up things for the regular season. Just as much as it is for the teams, it's, it's for the officials, right? And everybody else behind the scenes at the NFL to kind of get back into the swing of things and, and to be ready for the regular season when it matters in week one. Ultimately, I believe two weeks from Thursday night when the Packers play uh, the Bears to open the regular season. Well, the officiating the last couple of years has just been fascinating because it feels like every regular season you have a play that people are upset about, and then the next year the NFL responds by putting a new rule into place, right? Last year it was the the hitting the quarterback with your whole body weight or whatever it was, and then the the leading with the head rule, and this year it's the, the pass interference thing. Okay, so there was one play uh, in Detroit uh, versus Houston. right? It was a preseason game that I watched. I didn't see this play. This happened at the beginning of the third quarter. And essentially what happens is, and I'll, and I'll try to spell it out for you the best I can, Matt Stafford is under center with one running back in the backfield. Now, he snaps the ball and drops back, okay? Fakes the handoff and, and sets up, I don't know, five-step drop. Okay, now the pocket is forming. The center is not blocking anyone. There's nobody. Now, the left tackle, the left guard are engaged. The right tackle is engaged, but the center has found himself clear. Okay. Now, Matt Stafford is dropping back. The The pass rusher... On the left side, so facing the right tackle, works his way around behind, right? The tackle pushes him around behind Stafford. Now Stafford starts to step up, and as he's throwing, that center doubles back and finishes off that edge rusher kind of straight up, right? He's chasing Stafford from behind. That center meets him and pushes him back and kind of kills the block, right? He worked his way around, tried to loop back, but he runs into the center, and the center blocks him into the ground. It's not a blindside block, but it was ruled as such... Because number 76, and this is due or per NFL officiating, number 76 goes back toward his own end line, his own end zone, and forcibly blocks his opponent with his shoulder. By rule, this is a blindside block. Now, I thought a blindside block was blocking a, a, a defender who wasn't looking, right? I didn't think it had any, I didn't think it had any detail about 
which way somebody is running, whether it's backwards or forwards or side to side. I just thought a blindside block was the dude ain't looking and you cheap shot at him. That's what I thought a blindside block was. People were furious because if you watch this play, it is routine as routine gets. And people are saying, you're going to ruin the game. This tweet went viral, right? A lot of people saw it. A lot of people interacted with it and talked about it. Okay. And people are freaking out. I saw people who I work with. I saw friends. Everybody was talking about this on Facebook and on Twitter. Am I the only guy who can watch preseason football without freaking out? Think back to last year. And this is where it gets freaky, okay? This is where it gets a little eerie. And I talked about how, you know, Abraham Lincoln and JFK, all the details of their assassination are either the same or they mirror each other in some freaky way. Now, this is just football, and it's not nearly as important. 2018 to 2019, okay, last year, everyone going in was worried about the quarter, the new protections put on the quarterback, right? Because Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone, because Anthony Barr hit him, and we need to change something. We need to do something. So, we're going to make it illegal for a defender to land on the quarterback with their full body weight, which is obviously very difficult to measure and is an asinine rule. I get you look at the Anthony Barr hit and you're like, okay, yeah, we should be able to avoid that somehow. There's not really literature. There's not really logical wording you can use, right? But they go with, you can't land with a full weight of your body. Okay, however you measure that. And everybody freaks out. Everybody's worried about it. And what happens? There's a new rule that spurns up, nobody saw it coming, where you can't lead with the head, right? If you're running back, you can't finish a run by lowering your head. And if you're a defender, you can't finish a tackle by lowering your head. Flag, 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 flag all the time. By the end of the preseason, we weren't even thinking about the quarterbacks because all we were noticing was this dumb rule where you can't lean in to finish a run or to make a tackle. Seems pretty silly, right? Of course it does. It is. But it made us forget about the quarterback rule. Fast forward to 2019 right now. We went into the preseason. What were we talking about? What were we discussing? We were talking about... Freaking out about how now you can challenge a pass interference or lack thereof, right? That's going to change the game. How are people going to approach the final two minutes? How uh, judicious now are they going to be with their with their red flags, right? Are they going to save them more? Are they going to be more aggressive? How's it going to... Everybody's talking about it and how the NFL cannot stop tweaking and not stop messing with their product, which everybody already loves. Now, improvement is always good. I'm not hating on improvement, but change for the sake of change, I don't know. Everybody went into that season freaking out uh, this season about the, the pass interferences, right? And now what are we all talking about? We're talking about the blindside blocks. That's not a blindside block. I, come on. I, that's ridiculous. The NFL is, is out of control. And now we're going to be outraged about that for two weeks. And you know what? If you go back to last year, outside, of course, the one game where it did make a difference, uh, when Clay Matthews uh, hit Kirk Cousins uh, after the fact and used his uh, <clears throat> full body weight, it cost the Packers a win. And it handed them a tie as well as the Vikings. That was the only place it ever came up. And of course, it came up against the Packers because that's what happens. And other than that, we didn't deal with it. This year, I don't think we're going to have to deal with that many passes, uh, pass interferences being challenged. I don't think we're going to have to deal with that many blindside blocks. It's an emphasis during the preseason. Let's calm down. Brewers up soon. Pre-game starts at 6.10. A 6.40, first pitch tonight. Playing the Cardinals for the first time since April. God help the Brewers now that they're actually playing division games. Enjoy the game tonight. I'll be back tomorrow. Same time, same place for the Wisco Sports Show. Talk to you then.